Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the Misty, Miraculous, and Merry Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I have been hit in the head with volume. You have you were hit in the head with volume, and I am yes. actually awake, which is a positive thing. That's good. Our, our recording schedule has been a little askew for the last couple of weeks because of work schedules and family schedules and weather and... I don't know, extinction of mass creatures. That that last one might not have been involved. I'm going to go with it. it. Feels I'm like going to just say that the, the dying out of certain creatures on the face of the planet has impacted our recording schedule. Sounds good. We don't know which creatures those are. We don't know how they've affected things, but we'll figure it out later. Well, That's with right. that, I suppose we should get to our announcements, right? <laughs> Let's do What's that. What's our first one? Our first one is that Winter Fantasy is coming and bald man games has put up some new adventures not necessarily related to winter fantasy but people have been asking where are these adventures and these adventures are now up um the first one i want to talk about was moonshay treasure hunt it is a single adventure that contains four two-hour adventures that introduce plots areas and npcs in the Rising Shadows campaign set in the Moonsea Isles. So with Winter Fantasy coming, I think after Winter Fantasy, we're going to have something like seven trilogies plus this single Moonshay treasure hunt adventure uh, with other stuff in the offing. So that's a lot of content if you would like to run a Moonshay Isles campaign. And so that first one is up there on the DMs Guild waiting for you. Just search under Bald Man Games or Moonshay Treasure Hunt, and you can find it. So let's talk about the Moon, Moonshay Isles for a second. Um, mm -hmm. These are these are Adventures League legal uh, convention-created content adventures, but mm -hmm. Bald Man Games has sort of an editorial staff that is putting together something that feels like a, uh, a cohesive campaign inside of this this program, right? Very, very true. I was helping oversee that. Um, I have handed the reins over to Eric Mengi, who is now overseeing the the whole of the campaign, along with help from various other um, trilogy uh, coordinators, is what we call yeah, them. The very competent Eric Mengi. Oh, very much so. And so the the other thing that I wanted to mention about the Moonshay Isles is we created a Moonshay Isles campaign guide months ago, and people were asking, when will it be available in print format? Well, guess what? It's available in print format. If you go to the DMs Guild and look for Moonshay Isles campaign guide, uh, you can either get it PDF or you can get it print on demand or both. Yeah, it's a nice book. We did the we did a review on it, so... You mm -hmm. can uh, you can go back in our backlog and find that review to hear what's inside of the book. So there you go. Yep. And now you can get a print copy if you so yeah, choose. Yeah, it's like it's got a nice cover. It's a really pretty book. Yep. A foreword uh, by Douglas Niles, who wrote the original Moonshay Isles novels back in the 80s. So, yep. And the last thing from Bald Man Games is... Before we moved to the Moonshay Isles uh, for the Bald Man Games convention-created content 
uh, adventures. We were in the Moonsea area, and the final trilogies from the Moonsea region from Bald Man Games are now also up on the DMs Guild. So if you are waiting for the finales from Hullberg or Flan, uh, they are up there now. Very nice. Very nice. All right, let's move on to our next thing. This is rather fascinating to me. So just released from James Dracasso, James Hake, uh, Will Doyle, and Rich Lescaflair, who did the layout, Dragon Heist Forgotten Tales. Now, this is nutty. I love it. It's a supplement that expands the replayability of Waterdeep Dragon Heist by providing new content for the adventure. Um, the multiple villains and seasons in Waterdeep Dragon Heist make it an adventure that can be played multiple times to experience all the content. In fact, you have to play that multiple times to experience all the content. Uh, Forgotten Tales provides new challenges and story to go along with the variable elements of the original adventure to allow the players and dungeon masters who've experienced this game to enjoy a fresh take on this second playthrough, which is basically mm -hmm. they pull out like the introductory and and sort of like the, the things that were static and replace them with something else. So the original adventure had a one chapter that was kind of the low-level adventure lead-in. They have now created the Hand of Nessus, which is an alternate beginning to the to Waterdeep Dragon Heist, focusing on the Cult of Asmodeus and Bregan de Arth rather than on um, the Xanathar Guild and the um, Centaurum. Yep, and then they give you, um, we, we talked about this whole thing, so if you're listening, like, there's a chapter called Fireball. So there's, like, a new chapter for that you can slot in called New Fireball, which, you know, provides a new perpetrator of that explosion in Trollskull Alley. So that's it's a new, new fresh mystery for the players to solve. That's really good. Yep, and then at the end of the adventure, of course, was the vault itself, uh, which the characters could find, break into, and then deal with the Guardian and the treasure. This book gives you not just one, but two alternate Vaults of the Dragon to uh, to make the experience, if you play a second time, much different than the first. Yeah, and it's neat because one of them is just a new Vault of Dragons beneath the streets of Waterdeep. And then another one's a mm -hmm. bank vault that you can break into and steal from, so you can do the classic bank heist. You can play Ronin yep. Waterdeep style. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that, uh, if you are just getting into... Dragon Heist right now, or if you're planning on playing it, you might want to pick this up, read it through, and see if maybe you want to play an alternate version. Sound yeah, that good? sounds great. Sounds awesome, actually. Okay, what's what's the, the next, next one? Ne next is I finally got a chance to play Dungeon Mayhem, which is the uh, kind of little little card game, and it was a blast. It was really fun. It took maybe three minutes to learn and we played a few rounds of it and it's it's very simple um you choose it's kind of a deck building game without having to build the deck so if you are looking for a game that you want to be the bridge to some uh some real deck building games then you might want to pick this up first to get people who might not be used to deck builders into the flow of, you know, you have your deck, you have your hand, and then you have a discard pile. All of that is there without the need to, like, buy new cards. You've got your complete deck already. And it's just a really quick game where you play a card to either attack another person or multiple people, to defend yourself, to heal. Um, and, like I said, it's there's only about four different aspects that, players need to know so when you play a card there's symbols on the mm -hmm. cards 
There's an attack symbol. <coughs> Excuse me. A defense symbol. Um, a draw another card symbol. A heal symbol or a play another card symbol. So you can, so you know it's if you've played any deck builders, you know how that all those things. So are work. you just trying to survive to beat the last person standing? Exactly. So you do damage to other people uh, by playing your cards. And there are four different decks that represent four different characters. There is, let's see, Sutha the Skullcrusher, Azan the Mystic, Leah the Radiant, and Oriax the Clever. And so they have kind of different flavors. While they all use the same sort of attack, defend, uh, heal, play, you know, play more, um, they each have a different kind of flavor. So the Skull Crusher is more about doing damage. Um, the Mystic is more about playing more cards. Uh, the Radiant uh, is is more about defending, and the the Clever you know, is more about doing these little tricky things but they all attack they all defend they all do all those things it's just a little bit of a difference in how how the deck has been put together for now each. that sounds like a game that is rife for expansion oh absolutely there there is no doubt in my mind that there will be expansions um but if you have not played it yet or if you have it and don't know you know what it's about it's really simple to 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 play especially if you have played RPGs you know, during your lifetime, you will be able to pick this up in a matter of minutes. So uh, I highly suggest it, and when I go to Winter Fantasy, I'm going to bring my copy, and I'm looking forward to playing it with different people as we have maybe a tasty adult va- beverage uh, at night. Very nice, very nice. It sounds like a good pub game, right? Oh, for sure. All right, last thing. A new Sage Advice compendium is available. So this is the Sage Advice stuff from, uh, is it still Jeremy Crawford doing it? Yep, Jeremy Crawford does it, and he usually does it on Twitter. He answers questions, uh, but after a while, they will take some of his uh, thoughts and rulings and put them together into a compendium. And they, they, you know, update it. I don't know what the time limit is. It feels like it's about every six to eight, nine mm-hmm. months. Uh, they will do it. So if you go to the website, you just go to Sage Advice Compendium on the Wizards website, and you'll see the new PDF version. And if you just do a search on the word new, uh, it will uh, show you all of the ones that are newly put into the compendium if you already have a copy of the previous You, you want to talk about a few of them? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about a couple of them because these the ones that I brought up are either of interest to me or they come up a lot at the table. So I'm glad that there is finally something you know, official that... Uh, spells this out. So the first one I want to talk about says, does the fighter's action surge feature let you take an extra bonus action in addition to an extra action? And the answer is the action surge just gives you an extra action, not an extra bonus action. And recent printings of the player's handbook no longer include the wording that provoked this question. Now, I know exactly what they're talking about here because when it talked about that action surge, it said something like, um, you can take an additional action, comma, in addition to any bonus action. So people were reading that two different ways. Some were reading it as, you can take an additional action, and then at some point you can also take whatever bonus action you would normally take. And some people read it as, you can take an additional action. In addition, you can also take an additional bonus action. And so this clarifies that poor phrasing that was you know, making this question 
stand out. Well, that's a good clarification. <laughs> yep. Because this came up time and time and time again at tables with, with fighters who had actually. Yeah, I mean, it matters for um, the um, the one, the martial comp, the martial fighters, the ones that have the, uh, the, the dice. Yep, exactly. Um, so the second question isn't new, but it's something that, again, I've heard a lot of questioning recently on. It's can a thief use fast hands to activate a magic item? So the fast hands feature for a rogue uh, thief is that you can, as a bonus action, use an item rather than taking an action. And, you know, use an item is something that people were conflating with activating a magic item. The answer is no. Activating a magic item is not the same thing as using an object. Uh, so unless you have a specific feature that says you can activate a magic item as a bonus action, then it takes a full action to activate um, magic items that require an action to activate. That makes yeah, that Sound makes good? sense. Like I, I totally I can yep. buy that. Yep. This one is interesting to me uh, in terms of longer campaigns. Uh, is there a hard limit on how many short rests characters can take in a day, or is this purely up to the DM to decide? And the answer is the only hard limit on the number of short rests you can take is the number of hours in a day. In practice, you're also limited by time pressures in stories or foes interrupting a rest. So that there is no hard limit on the number of short rests you can take during a day, except how many hours there are in the day. That makes sense to me. I always thought that was the case, yep. too. That's how I always played it. Right. And what what it brings to mind, though, is if you are a DM or if you are a writer creating adventures, always keep in mind that time pressure element, um, especially if you are wanting the adventure to be more dramatic and more, uh, you want the players more keyed up and, and, pushing hard through, give them a reason to limit their short rests. Uh, what's the last one? And the last one is, what actions can monsters use to make opportunity attacks? Are multi-attack and breath weapon actions allowed? The answer is, a monster follows the normal opportunity attack rules from the player's handbook, which specify that an opportunity attack is one melee attack. So it's not an action, it's a melee attack. That means a monster must choose a single melee attack to make, either an attack that is in its stat block or a generic attack like an unarmed strike. So no, a monster that has the multi-attack action with 12 different attacks within it cannot take 12 different attacks on an attack of opportunity. Um, it has to take just one melee attack. Unless, of course, it's got an exception now, right into it that says when taking an opportunity attack can use its multi-attack. For sure, yeah. And But now that does not mean that it cannot use special features that are triggered by that melee attack. That's true. So, so if it can grapple, if it hits with its claw, its claw is a single melee attack, then it can use that during an opportunity attack to not only do the damage but also to grapple. That makes all perfect sense yep. to me, man. Yep. So those were the those. There are many others, uh, n new and old, in the sage advice. Uh, but I thought those were some neat ones to highlight. I think those are those are pretty fascinating. Like the uh, the um, the one is the 
the the action surge one is the one that I think is probably the most important one to note out of those. Yeah. Yeah, that is the one that I have seen misused. Because the it's most not written clearly in earlier editions of the printing. Yep. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to our main topic for the day. Planner Adventures. Mr. Mad Wizard, would you please lead us into this? I would love to. So a couple of weeks ago when Teo Sabadillo was on the show, we talked about creating adventures in exotic locations. Um, and as we talked about that, I realized that we haven't yet, that I remember, done a deep dive into planar um, content, the makeup of the 5th edition setting as it's spelled out in the Dungeon That's Master's true. Guide. Um, as more and more new players get familiar with the game and start taking their characters to the highest levels, more and more planar content will be needed. So I thought now would be a good time to talk about the planes. All right. So, Sean, what are the planes? Well, the planes are different settings and areas of existence within the multiverse. So uh, some planes are normal, quote unquote normal which would be like if you're in a Forgotten Realms, uh, like the Sword Coast is on a prime material plane. It's, it's normal. Um, while there are other outer planes, inner planes, um, all sorts of strange planes that are governed by specific forces or deities or elements, um, such as, well, elements like fire, earth, water, air, or alignments, uh, or a, very, a variety of other things that we will talk about. And to get into this, I had a little game that I wanted to put together for everyone out there and for Chris. So, yes, we can all play this game. Um, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to name uh, a a world. And you tell me. I'm going to name the name of the world and you tell me what D&D setting that world is. Would you like me to? Would you like okay. me to phrase the answers in the form of a question? No, that's okay. Uh, but I want. <laughs> Come on, Alex. Uh, I want. I know. I know. I. It's funny because sometimes when I play trivia games, I do that just out of habit, um, and it's hilarious. So, I will name the world, and you all out there name the setting. We'll we'll, we'll start with it with, with an easy one. Okay. Okay. Earth, spelled O E R T H. Where is Greyhawk? That is uh, correct. I, I did it anyway. Sean, take that. Yes, you did. You did. You you have put one over on me, Christopher. Okay, the next one. Kryn. Hmm, I feel like there's dragons and Kender here, and that might be Dragonlance. Okay, very good. Chris is two for two so far. Where, in what setting is the world Toril? Uh, I think this is a place with Blackstaffs and Elminsters and uh, Manchoons, and it's called the Forgotten Realms. That is correct. Next. Now, this is the hard one, Chris. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm I'm so not ready. I'm going to get this one wrong. This one is... I even have trouble pronouncing it. Abrinus. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure it's not Dark Sun. I'm be real stupid if it is. I feel real stupid if it is. I'm, I think it's Mistra. That is incorrect, Chris. Oh, what so is I, it? So everyone listening, yell the correct answer at Chris. Go ahead. One, two, uh-huh. three. Boom. The answer is Birthright. Oh, is that the Birthright campaign that, setting? That is the that is the name of the world in Birthright. Yes. Which one's the Mistra one then? Uh, Mistara is Mistara. Really? Yes. I didn't know that the name of the setting was the name of the world. Okay. And for Dark Sun. 
the campaign that we played in was called Ashes of It's Athos. That's yes. right. That's why that's why I was pretty sure it wasn't wasn't Dark Sun because it's got the same first letter, but I just couldn't remember Athos offhand. And the, the, the this is here's a bonus question. Now I'm I'm trying to remember. I knew this when we were first going to uh, record, and I have to find the correct answer because it's very specific. I but feel as like it, this is a trick question, a, a bonus question is: What is the name of the world in the Eberron setting? I'm pretty sure the name of the world is actually Eberron because the above is Sybaris, the below is Kyber, and the actual world is called Eberron. That is partially correct. If uh, I, it has a different name, if no, no, it's it's Eberron. I think, I think because it the, is the called, name of the five, the name of the five, uh, the five nations is called Corvair. Right. I think it is called something like the Mortal Eberron. Oh, or, okay. or something. Weird like that. So yes, it is Eberron, but I think there's a word in front of it that that is like official. But I can't find that that answer in front of me right now. So people out there, let me know if that is correct. So the the point of this is there are many game it, worlds. It's um, the the mortal world of Eberron. The more yeah, that's it. Go. The mortal world of Eberron. So there you go. Um, so the the material planes are what we would consider the normal world. And there are many uh, official D&D settings over the years. Um, some of them have c come out for 5th edition. Some of them are still in the process of coming out. Some of them we may never see, but there are many out there. Now, everyone's screaming, Greyhawk, give me my Greyhawk. <laughs> yes, there's lots of screaming of lots of different um, worlds. But all of these material planes are surrounded or surround other planes. And so I want to talk about uh, all of these. The first ones, um, and some of my favorite, are, are the material plane echo planes. So they are echoes of the material world that are just not quite their own planes, but definitely not of the material plane. The first one is the Feywild. This, uh, I love the Feywild. Oh yeah, this is the plane of of the Fey, of nature run wild, really. Um, you know the 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 power of positive energy, but not necessarily good energy, because there are some Fey lords and some other types of creatures that are definitely just as evil as any uh, devil or demon. I mean, it's like having fairy in your game, right? Like precisely. I mean, this is, the, this is where you're walking through a forest and all of a sudden there's like willow, the wisps and uh, starlight and the stars in the sky don't look the same anymore. And you're like, where did I go? And then there's a beautiful fey Lord mm -hmm. or lady dancing in the forest. And you're like, well, we're in trouble. Yep. So, so the fey wild, exists kind of in conjunction with the material world. So it it occupies the same space, but it's just a little bit askew, a little bit grander, a little bit more spectacular. Um, they give some good examples in the DMG of, you know, if there's a volcano on the material plane, on the corresponding Feywild 
side of things. It'll be a mountaintop with skyscraper-sized crystals that glow with internal fire towers in the Feywild. So, you know, it's just much more vibrant and spectacular. The and There's probably oh, still lava somewhere they're erupting, too. Exactly. So on the other side of, of that, the other side of that echo is the Shadowfell. And the Shadowfell is the shadowy, dark, dismal side of the material plane, as opposed to the Feywild. Which is my second favorite plane of existence. Yep. And so this is where death and um, destruction and necrosis are given hold. They, Some cosmology says that when souls die on a material plane, they pass first through the shadow fell and then go on out into their final rewards or punishments, depending on how you lived in life. Um, and for me, these are two of the best addition, later additions to the D&D cosmology, um, because these weren't around in first edition. Right? Other planes that we're going to talk about have been. But these, I think, came in with third edition and and maybe even fourth. Um, but they are just a wonderful place to set adventures and set stories without having to travel all the way out to the outer planes. Um, you know, using higher level magic, these realms bleed into the material plane. So even at the lowest levels, you can have good, cool, fun adventures. Um, with these themes in these areas. Yeah, and our pop culture and media and even past pop culture is all littered with prime examples of how to use these two things in your games. So they're, in my opinion, the most um, the most usable and readily available and accessible planes to use in your games. Yep. The, the Feywild is right out of Grimm's Fairy Tales, right? Uh-huh. It is pretty much the Grimm's Fairy Tales thing. Yep. It's, or the Mark Twain, like, oh, look, Rip Van Winkled. You know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yep. And then the Shadowfell is is kind of like the um, just the dark side of life. Any sort of horror movie that's not specifically saying they're going to hell or they're going to, you know, this other place. Um, the Shadowfell is a is a representation of that sort of ghastly, grim, dark uh, place. Yeah, it's so cool. Like, it, there's not really a super good analog for it, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's sort of a mix between like limbo and the lands of the dead, yeah. and and purgatory, you know, so stuff like that. It's got it's got a, kind of that flavor to it, but yet it's not that at all, right? Yep. yep. And in some in some cosmologies I've seen, the Shadowfell is on the far side of the Shadowfell are well are where the Raven Lofty realms of of uh, domains of dread yeah there's like pocket dimensions inside of the Shadowfell that are the domains of dread that are prisons yep so those are the echo planes the the uh, material plane echo planes next i want to talk about the inner planes Ooh, the inner planes yeah are we talking like the elemental planes you got it so the inner planes surrounded and fold the material plane and its echoes providing the raw elemental substance from which all worlds are made. Did you want to say anything about that? No, not really. Like, I mean, there there's some cool, like, historic D&D locations in these planes. Um, For sure. 
the, like, like the city of brass is in the plane of fire still, right? Absolutely. Did they move that? Nope, it's there. Yeah, and then the uh, what is it? The I was I was at the screwed up the um the the, the Dukes of Aqua, the yep. Wind Lords. They're in the plane of they're plane in... of uh, error here, right? Yep. yep. So there's and then, the, oh, and then the elemental chaos has Mishka the Wolf Spider and the Queen of Chaos and all of them, right? Yep. Yep. So you know each of these planes represents uh, exactly what their element is. So in the plane of Earth, you know it's everything is going to be about soil and about rock and the genies the various genies come from these planes so i believe it's the Tao um that come uh, come from the plane of earth yep that sounds about right and again is there is there okay. anything interesting in the plane of earth in D D lore i can't think of anything Ooh, let me think i i think there is and i'm trying to remember I don't. It's obviously not as um, not as steeped in lore as as the city of brass and some of the other ones. Yeah. Um, there's something called the swamp of oblivion. Oh, that's like on the border though between the plane of earth and the plane of water, because all yeah. these planes like sort of like touch each other, right? And create like like subplanes, like like you know where of course where water and earth meet is a plane of swamp or like mud and muck and things like that. Uh, the the city of jewels is also one um, that the Dow. It's the capital city of the Dow. Oh, so I it's it's the city of brass. But the you know, city of brass, I think, had the you know had their own adventures set there, and they they did, and uh, <sighs> not so much with with the city of jewels. But yeah, so you know, each of these has its own theme. So if you to set adventures there can be cool to you know the the solidity of the earth or, you know, the the chaos surrounding the air, fire, water, all of those things are great places to to have adventures. And the elemental chaos, as Chris mentioned, is kind of this primordial uh, realm that all these elements spring from. And, you know, the anything with form in the world pretty much sprang first from that elemental chaos. Yeah, it's so strange because it's like pandemoniums, which we'll talk about in a little while, sort of fits into the same shtick, but it mm-hmm. doesn't anymore. Like it used to be the same thing and then they kind of split it off. Yes. Yes. They they split it off in fourth edition specifically. Um, the, the creation of the world myths was that the Titans ruled uh, the elemental chaos and then the gods came to power, and there was this war between them, between the primordials uh, who ruled in the elemental chaos and created everything, and the gods who ruled the outer planes and usurped their uh, power and enslaved the uh, primordials, basically. Which I love that story. That's a cool <laughs> story. It really is. It, well, it does a good thing for the game. Like It creates... like. Uh, instead of having like the gods and then trying to figure out which gods hate each other, which yep. there are some gods that hate each other, you're like, oh look, there's this whole other group of god-powered like creatures, beings out there that you can put in opposition to the gods. So right. like you know, now you have like, well, you can work for one faction or the other. Yep, and then you can pick sides on the teams basically. So mm-hmm. you know, the giants maybe were uh, servants of the primordials. So yeah, man, they, that makes they, perfect sense. They have a be- beef with the gods and. Yeah, you know, it's it's a good way to to create some really big epic level stories. 
All right, so those are the inner planes. Ooh, let's talk about the outer planes yeah, now. Yeah, so this is a lot of people will say that the outer planes are their favorites, and and that's understandable. So in fifth edition, there are I believe sixteen. One, two, three, four. Oh, maybe maybe more, maybe eight. There's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> outer planes. And so we're, we're just going to run down what they are and kind of what they're aligned with. Uh, we'll start with the lawful good corner of the grid. So that's, wow. that's I, I actually don't know these as well as you probably do. Like, it's been a long time since yeah. I really... I mean, some of these I know super well, but a lot of them I don't. Yeah, it's it's been a long time for me, too, uh, because back when I was running first edition games... These came up all the time. Uh, we were always traveling to different planes and doing things. And for some reason, just w my experiences have turned to lower level stuff recently. So that puts these less in front of my face. Um, but there's still a lot of history with them. So, you know, Mount Celestia is aligned with lawful good. And it's kind of the seven heavens. Um, so when, when I think of this, I, I tend to think of, even though it's not necessarily a direct correlation, I think of it as Mount Olympus. Um, you know, it, I think of it as the, the typical heaven where the good people go when they die. Um, that makes sense. The next is the neutral good, lawful good, uh, tinged by Topia, uh, the twin paradises. Uh, the neutral good is the Elysium, the fields of Elysium. All right. So what do we know about these places? The upper the upper ones are harder to differentiate um, because they they get less press in mythology than the lower planes. So like. Isgard is is the chaotic good, chaotic neutral. You know that that gets a lot of play in Norse mythology, right? Um, because it's that's where you go, that's where the gods are. Um, lots of stuff happened in Val at, at Valhalla, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one that is more um, noticeable or familiar with people in just general popular culture. But the differences between Celestia, Bitopia, Elysium, uh, the Beastlands uh, are less differentiated and less ingrained, I think, in, in popular culture because there's, they just overlap a lot. They really do. Like th those first three that you mentioned, they are just really lovely places. And, um, if you look in the Dungeon Master's Guide, a lot of them have optional rules mm -hmm. that, that give you a little bit of flavor for them. But, like, they're all kind of the same, like you said, Sean. Like, they're, uh, I mean, they got they got a little bit of flavor to them. It'd be better, I'd really like to see them sort of, like, punched out with, like, some, like, bullet points. Being mm -hmm. like, here's just a couple of quick things that you can look at to, like, to give them some sort of flavor and differentiation. Yeah, well, what's great is there is this thing called the Dungeon Master's Guild, where you yourself can do some research on each of these you know, their their research in in the religions of the world, or research in their mythological um, beginnings and stories, and create your own, create your own adventures, create your own hierarchies. Yes, yes, you can. Mm -hmm. um, 
So you, you talked about Asgard. You mentioned that one. So that one's cool, like, because it's where heroes go, but they go there and they keep fighting. Exactly. So, like, and they fight against everything. So if you need, like, to get your hands, like, on a an artifact or something like that for a little brief period of time, or you need to find, like, a, a legendary creature to slay that yeah. is not around anymore, that might be extinct, Yeah. then you could just go to Asgard and, like, you know, chat with some people that are heroes and then, you know, find the thing that you're killing and go on, like, this... You know, giant quest with like the forty thieves of Alibaba or whatever mm -hmm. to you know, kill or steal or whatever. Yep. And and the, the, like the beast lands have a little bit, if I remember correctly, of a, um, of a tie to either like Native American or um, kind of Aboriginal uh, folks from different places where it was more of a nature and animistic um yeah that, that's where you're you got that the last thing that you said is the yeah. thing really they're 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 leaning really heavily on the animistic thing like everything's you feel the beast inside of you mm -hmm. um it also speaks to the animal living within all living things like that the whole predator prey what it means to be you know part of nature thing right so uh so we did through the beast lands the chaotic good olympian glades of arborea yeah uh, uh, is is more you know nature, uh, but nature in its wild form, you know the chaos of it. So a lot of elves and elven deities are said to to be there the, of the more wild types. Mm -hmm. It's all about emotion there too. Like, yep. it's a it's it's a little Conan, a uh, giant. Yeah. There's like a bunch of violent violent moods and deep affections. Like yep. you know, so like. It's a like deep melancholies and and great mirths like that is that is pretty much that place summed up in in a sentence. And it does say the Olympian glades, so there there is that tinge of the the chaos of you know the the gods' whims also yep. playing. It's got that Greek god feel to it. Yep. And so we did, uh, uh, Isgard. Um, limbo is next. The pure chaotic neutral, ever changing chaos of limbo. Now, now, limbo is cool because you can use your mind to make things. Right. There is there is chaos going on so much that any sort of energy that focuses can bring together something into a it's a solid form for at least a, a few minutes. Uh, this is where the slod live and uh, just basically fight and do weird random things. I feel like the Mad Wizard has some. Lovely uh, yeah, visits to that place. I I would say so. I would definitely say so. Um, next is the windswept deaths of pandemonium. As we get toward the chaotic neutral, chaotic evil, and so this is not just chaos. This is madness. Yes, and it's interesting because it's just a giant rock riddled with tunnels. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say like. All the, like now we're getting into the things. So so the problem with um, I guess I won't say the problem. So the first ones that we talked about, and maybe we could talk about this a little bit more in depth when we talk about maybe running some adventures in these in these these spaces and these places. Um, this one has a little bit more. Uh, these these ones we're getting into have a little bit more conflict to them. Like they're they're a little bit more opposition in the plane itself and what you're dealing with. Right. Right. Yes. Which so, is like, which is why you don't want to end up there. Correct, but sometimes you just have to go there, right? Like, uh-oh, yes. we better go to Pandemonium because the only person that knows the thing that we need to know is wandering these caves somewhere. It's true. And 
They might be insane, though, so we better go figure out a way to make them not insane also. Mm-hmm. So that's Pandemonium. Uh, next is one of many people's personal favorites, The Abyss. Yeah, like, even even in the book, there is... It's it's got the one of the hugest sections of mm-hmm. uh of the space like for for this like so that that should tell you that right there like the demon web pits are here like all of the I mean when you, when you when we did our whole thing on out of the abyss like we were talking about all the things that come out of the abyss Demogorgon's here and mm-hmm. I think Orcus hangs out here too right like, oh yeah Baphomet Grast yeah like um, all of your favorites the all the all the the best hits of mm-hmm. demonology and D and D yep. <laughs> And so, it, you know, throughout history, at, at one point, there were an infinite number of layers to the abyss. And then at one point, there were 666 layers in the abyss. But, uh, you know, it's where the demons come from and lots of bad stuff happening on it. So, yeah, there's that. Then there's a, a I can never pronounce this one right, uh, Ser. Ser- Sarsary? I, I say Carceri. Carceri, or the Tartaran Deaths, which is the way that I prefer to use it anyway. Yes. Because it's Tartarus, right? Like, right. Enjoy being trapped in Tartarus. Right. Uh, the, or Caceri, which is, you know, a prison. Yep, it, it's a prison plane. And you get sent there when you do bad things and you get locked away, and it's very, 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 very hard to escape. This is the best jailbreak scenario ever, right? Exactly. exactly. Or worst. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so in the middle, uh, the neutral, straight neutral evil plane is Hades, called the can Three say, Glooms. Can I say I love Hades? Yeah? Why I love that? the Grey Wastes. Yeah. Well, this is um, this is where, you know, it's the, the, the plane itself will sap your energy. At least it used to. I don't mm. know if it does in this, in this version, but back in, back in, um, in uh, the Planescape version, mm-hmm. like just walking across, it's bad for you. Uh, also, there's like a city in the middle, or at least there used to be. I don't know if there still is, that had a wall that was made up of all the people that didn't have anywhere to go. Mm-hmm. I remember that. So, I mean, I, I'm i not sure if that's still true now. It should be. If it's not, they should fix that and put it back. Yeah. Uh, that's where um, Kelimvor from, from the Forgotten Realms ruled from, too. True. Yeah, it's it's a place that's not as violent as the Abyss or as conniving as the uh, nine hells which we will talk about shortly so it's more of a well neutral you know neutral evil place where when you go there you just kind of fade away into nothing yep it sucks all the color out of you in doing so too it's great i mean think about the the visual there if you can imagine it like you are people that are walking across, or, you know, humanoids, mm-hmm. that are walking across this plane, and you have all of your color, but everything around you is in grayscale. Yep. And then the longer that you spend there, the more grayscale you become. That's, that is cool story-wise, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so this is, this is the one I have the hardest with. You know, if you ask me to name all of the planes along the evil side of the axis, you know, I could tell you... Easily, I could tell you the Abyss and the Nine Hells, and I could tell you Hades. And then I would think for a second and say, oh, yeah, and Carcery. And then there's the one. What's the one that's between neutral evil and chaotic evil but doesn't quite? And I, it would take me forever to remember Gehenna. Yeah, I mean, who thinks about Gehenna? The only reason I know of, of Gehenna or Gehenna, Gehenna is uh, yeah. 
That's where the Yugoloths come from, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Yugoloths. They're they're pretty fun. Yep. So so this is the the place of some of the more, or should I say, less violent sins. So greed, uh, paranoia, suspicion, those sorts of things are um, are what make up a Gehenna. And as Chris said, the Yugoloths uh, are born here. And so they are uh, devils of a different sort, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the greediest and most selfish. And will, you know, when they're, when the blood war, when we talk about the blood war between the demons and devils, the Yugoloths are the kind of arms dealers that sell to both sides or uh-huh. mercenaries that are just there uh, for the money or it's for the It's why power. you also see the uh, the Yugoloth hanging out with the drow, or with with Loth's drow anyway, and yep. why there are Yugoloths that tend to be Loth's, um, in Loth's service. I always figured the demon web pits should probably be like bordered. Like You should be able to get to Gehenna mm-hmm. from the demon web pits, or you yes. should be able to get to the demon web pits from Gehenna. Like, yeah. that, that was the thing that I always thought should be a thing. Yeah, I, I think that makes perfect sense. So if we move around and now talk straight lawful evil, we are talking about the nine hells of Bator. I mean, this is classic, right? Yeah. You know, this is probably if you are if you've been playing D and D for a long, long time, um this is probably the plane the outer plane that you've adventured in most. Um, because it's where it's still horrible and lots of terrible things going on, but you have the best chance of surviving um, this terrible place because people are going to try to take advantage of you. And as long as you have something of value, they are not necessarily just going to kill you. And as long as you have your soul, you have something of value. It's exactly what I was going to say next. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, each of the, each of the planes, uh, I'm sorry. Each of the layers of the nine hells is ruled by a different uh, archdevil, mm-hmm. and there's always constant warfare going on, not only between um, devils and demons, but also between the different archdevils vying for more power and influence and souls within the nine hells. I mean, we should just go right at it and be like, "This is the whole Dante's Inferno inspired part oh, yeah. of Dungeons and Dragons." Yep. Yep. So, it, so that's why those those nine layers are there. In yep, fact, if you can find part of the art, uh, anybody who did a piece of art that is based on Dante's Inferno, you can get a pretty good look at what the what it kind of like looks like too. Because they've they've kind of kept that same art art idea for even the D and D stuff. It's true. It's true. And the, the dungeon master's guide does a good job of giving a little information on each of the nine layers. They really do. It's a really uh, nice write up for it. So now we're going to head back up to, um, the left side of this little grid that that uh, has the alignments. And we're, we're talking about Acheron, the infinite battlefield, uh, lawful neutral and lawful evil. Oh, my God, the giant cubes, man. <laughs> yes. like That is like the coolest uh, feature in pretty much any of the planes of existence, these giant, enormous iron cubes floating in an airy void. And yep. sometimes they collide. Yep. So, so this is all about warfare and... Uh, strife, and so you're going to find the spirits of fallen soldiers, uh, orcs devoted to Grumpsh, goblinoids uh, loyal to their demon lord are all going to go to this place and just 
fight for eternity. I mean, that's that's sure. Why not? Right. Yep. Um, now, if, I mean, oh, go ahead. Can, can I just like imagine like you appear on this plane and you're on the corner of one of the cubes as it's heading for another cube? Yeah. And you're like, well, that's a problem. We yep. better get around the edge. Yep. There's nothing like leaving my soul here as I am crushed between two absolutely gigantic cubes. Oh, God. And then the ringing sound afterwards. Mm, oh. Yeah. Oh. And speaking of giant cubes, next on the list is the lawful neutral plane, the clockwork nirvana of Mechanus. All right. All right, guys. Just, I got one word to say before we get into anything else. Yes. M Modrons. Yeah. Modrons. I think Modrons are are pretty much loved and adored by everyone who's played for quite a while. Um, just because the mind loves order for the most part, you know, even if you have a really fuzzy mind and, and you, you, you thrive on chaos, there's something that the human mind loves about order and putting things in order and having a set system that you can always rely on. And that is exactly what Mechanus brings. It's a realm of gears that move with clockwork precision, and the beings called Modrons that live here fit perfectly within that system. Let's talk about Modrons for a second, because, yes. yeah, they're adorable. They're not nice. Oh, no, no. They've been, they've always... Not always, but most of the time when they're represented in art, they're kind of either cartoony, cute, or just, um, they look like, I can't say this word, anthrom anthropomorphic. <laughs> anthropomorphic dice. dice, exactly, or circles. And so they look like cute little figures with arms and legs and eyes. And so it's hard not to go, ah. Until you're on the business end of being the fly in the proverbial ointment and they're coming after you. Yeah, and then it's, they're also a machine. Yes, and then it's not quite so cute. Um, I mean, they are essentially a sentient machine. And so there's, a, there's great stories to be told in their taking this perfect order, throwing a wrench into it, and seeing what happens. Uh so many stories in D and D uh, have thrived on on exploring that um, that theme. Anything else about Mechanus? No, it's just I, it's one of the better ones to use for um, for adventures. I sure. think. All right, so we'll round out our tour of the outer planes with Arcadia, the peaceable kingdoms of Arcadia. And there's not really much to say about that. It's, you know, it's it's another one of those kind of heavenly, um, heavenly realms, kind of the realm of Fey if it was always bright and shiny and lovely and everything always worked as they sh as it should. Yeah, it's just it is what it is, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> just this nice, pleasant place to go. I mean. You go there to talk to somebody, really. Like, it's definitely a social encounter type plane of existence. If you go there to fight, you'll probably get throttled because, you know, it's an outer plane. Right. But, you know. Yep. Nobody wants their peace spoiled. So we're going to 
jump into just a couple of more different types of planes. We'll go through them pretty quickly here. Um, the transitive planes are the ones that allow passage to the other planes. And the two transitive planes are the ethereal and the astral. Oh, man. But we could talk about the astral plane for like 40 minutes. It is true. It is true. Maybe someday we will. But for our purposes, these are just the the roads, if you will, to to the other planes. And you can have adventures on the ethereal and the astral plane, and they are cool in their own right. Um, but we're going to move on to some other planes. Um, sigil. Now, let me say sigil? that. Let me say that you mean, right. You mean that place? Sigil? S- sigil. Sigil. Whichever. Sigil is actually how it's pronounced. Because sigil is a word in English. That's true. Sigil is a sigil is a made up word for a place in D anD. d Exactly. So this is the eternal city of Planescape. Yes, yes, it is the city of doors. City of doors, the city that leads to other planes. Um, so that's just something to be aware of. Now there are demi planes. Demi planes are extra dimensional spaces that come into being by a variety of means, and they each boast their own physical laws. So you. Um, creatures can create their own de- powerful creatures can create their own demi planes and live in them. And some of them are infinite and some of them are very small. Um, but the person that creates them creates the physical laws that um, govern them. And of so, course, the most famous ones I think in existence are, are the ones in Ravenloft, mm-hmm. you know, yep. those ones. Yep. So, you know, they're there and they're a great place to, um, if you need to get out, of the normal physical realm for your adventure or for your story, but you don't want to go into any of these planes. You can just, this powerful wizard created them my plane, and then you can do with it what you will. It's a it's a great uh, wild card. And then there is the outside or the far, well, not the outside because it's different. Um, there's the far realm, right. which is essentially the Lovecraftian areas of Dungeons and Dragons. Right. It is the place beyond knowing, if you will. And so this is where some of the more strange monsters come from. Um, the mind flayers, your aboleths, aboleths, yep, are uh, are from that place. And there, there really aren't good rules put in place yet for what happens if you um, if you go there. But the epic that's running at Winter Fantasy, which M.T. Black wrote and allowed me to help him write, um, deals with an attack from the Far Realm, and I think it's going to be pretty cool. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to say that like, if you go there, you pretty much die. I would say so, yeah. Unless you're very, very high level and have a lot of magic to surround yourself with. But and, that, and that's, that magic better guard your mind. That's yep, all I'm saying. Yep, and, and, that's, yeah, and that's a good point. Um, so th- those are the planes. Um, so what we want to talk about really briefly is why are planar adventures and campaigns so fun? Well, why don't we just save that? I mean, okay. we could we could just save some of this stuff. Yeah, I, I we would could. like to talk more about this. Cause I'd really like to talk more about the astral plane because I love the astral okay. plane. Okay, so why don't we do that? Why don't we put a pin in all of this mm-hmm. and and at some point, either next time or uh, or soon, we will talk about some of these planes in more detail talk about campaigning there some tips for creating adventures and campaigns in these places yeah so like because this is all about like setting an environment and making that par- that part come to life right S- sounds great all right well uh 
Thank everyone so much for listening. I'm going to do a few Patreon shoutouts. Um, Eileen Barnes, the Duchess of Pandas Talking Games. Andy Olson, the Duke of Dice. By the way, this is our royal court. Uh, Brian Kurtz, the Royal Doctor of Physic. Christopher Gray, the Spy Master of MMP. Craig, just Craig, the Lord of One Name. Donnie Harville, the Lord of the Slack Room. Eric Bonds, the Duke of Gators and the Lord of Beavness, who just had a birthday. Happy birthday, Eric. Uh, GM Gerrymander, the Lord of the After Show. Jesse Edmond, the Royal Doctor and our editor. Uh, John C. LeMay, the court necromancer. John Carney, the guard. Oh, those are backwards. I have them backwards. Uh John C. LeMay is the guard at the end of the world, and John Carney is the court necromancer. Mm. Bless you. Thank you. Uh, Kevin Lovecraft, the royal beard. Merrick Blackman, the royal D&D reviewer. Michael Dinos, the inquisitor of Mark. And Polydian, the duke of darkest sons. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you should just give us a click. Like, you can go to the website, click on there. You can just go to our Patreon page, search Misdirected Mark. And uh, for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out like you just heard. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes. And you get access to the Misdirected Mark Slack room, where you can chat with us whenever you so choose. Mm-hmm. If you can't help us monetarily, which that's not a problem at all, but you'd really like to help us out and give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple podcast review or just a share on the social media of your choice. Yeah, I mean, sharing is great. If people ask, hey, what's your favorite podcast, and you feel like sharing, we would love to have you say Misdirected Mark, yes, but also Down With Um, D&D. And if you don't listen via Apple Podcasts, you can still rate and rank shows uh, on Apple Podcasts because other podcasters use Apple Podcasts to do so, and that would make us more visible. Really would. Sean, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter, at Sean Merwin. You can also check out what the Mad Wizard is doing, at Menagerie Wizard. Or you can, for the time being, uh, still talk to us on the Down With D&D G Plus community. How hey, about that you? Menagerie Wizard thing, like we're putting out short adventures with that now, too. So not only do you get your monster... But you get the uh, get a short adventure these days. That's right. Uh, you can catch me at Misdirected Mark, which is the network Twitter and the show Twitter. It's pretty much every Twitter for, for Misdirected Mark shows and whatnot. Uh, you can also just go to the website and check us out there, comment there. You can, other catch, you can also catch other great shows such as this one there. Zhang Yu Hustle. Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Zhang Yu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their Kung Fu strong by watching Wuxia films and then discussing how to apply their observations to game design. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Sean, I feel like we're about to do something. I'm just not sure what it is. What is it? You know what I think we're going to do now is go kill some extra planar monsters. Ooh, extra planar monster death. Woo! You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.